Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Woo-hoo! Hey everybody, good morning. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. Great to have you with us today here. Those of you who are in person and uh, the many of you that are home watching online, thank you so much uh, for tuning in and joining with us. Uh, I'm excited. Today's going to be a great day. Beautiful weather uh, here in Charleston. Looks like the rain has uh, subsided a little bit after this past week, uh, which is great for us as far as our construction project because there's a lot of exciting things going to be happening uh, out front. Um, hey, I want to mention as well, there's a uh, red little uh, letter uh, inside your bulletin today and uh, speaking about Christmas and uh, preparing for Christmas. This letter explains uh, our Christmas offering here at Coastal Community Church. And uh, every year for uh, eight years now, we've had an annual uh, Christmas offering and it goes toward uh, several different uh, outreach projects or things that we deem worthy uh, here at Coastal. We got a big goal this year. It's the biggest goal we've ever had, but we've always reached our goal. So I know we're going to reach it this year at $75,000 above and beyond uh, Uh, your regular giving, and we're going to accomplish three things. One, we are going to fully, completely fund uh, our outreach, our tailgate parties that we do. Uh, We do two tailgate parties a month now on Saturday, sir, first Saturday of the month, and Saturation Saturday, the third Saturday of the month, and a tailgate party is where we go into an underserved area of our community, and uh, we basically set up a tailgate. We bring tents and grills and food and supplies. Uh, we, We feed somewhere between three and 400 people at these two different uh, tailgates every single month. And uh, we spend about 10 grand a year just on the food uh, for these tailgates. So the Christmas offering is going to help fully fund that. That's one. Number two, we are going to purchase a big box truck. I'm excited about that. I think that's kind of cool, a big box truck. What in the world does a church need with a box truck? Well, one, uh, we are going to, it's going to be used for those tailgate parties. We've got a lot of wonderful volunteers who come with their trucks or trailers and help do all that, but we have a lot of stuff here that goes to each one of those tailgate parties. So it's going to be used for that. It's going to be used for advertising. We're going to wrap that thing uh, really cool and uh, advertise coastal. We're going to use it for disaster relief. We're going to use it for community outreach. Uh, We're excited about that. Then the third thing that we're going to use the offering for is that we are going to purchase uh, indoor and outdoor playground equipment for our new facility, for our kids here at Coastal and in our community. And if you know how many people come to this church throughout the week, you know that's going to be an exciting outreach. So we're excited about it. I hope you're excited about it. Uh, You can give toward the Christmas offering over the next nine weeks. Uh, We we do that through now until like the second week of January, actually. And um, all you have to do is designate your offering with the word Christmas and it'll go toward the Christmas offering. So I hope you're excited about that, um, as I am. You know, one of the questions that I am most often asked as a pastor is this. Why? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Ever ask that question about the pain and suffering and hurt that you go through? I bet many of you have asked that question over the last eight months. Now, some of the suffering and pain that we experience in life, if we're honest, uh, we bring on ourselves, right? I mean, if you get drunk and you have a hangover, if you make dumb financial decisions, then struggle you know, to make ends meet, if you eat uh, fast food or junk food all your life, and then one day you struggle with your weight, uh, those kinds of things are on you, right? I mean, the Bible says, a man reaps whatever he sows. And then a lot of the pain and suffering that we experience in life is simply because we're human beings and we live in a broken, sinful, fallen world. 
Things go wrong. Our bodies wear out. People die. There is sickness and disease. But but I think that the suffering that is probably the hardest to handle and the most difficult to cope with and to understand is when you seem to suffer and hurt while doing good. You know, when when you suffer for doing the right thing, when when you suffer for your faith. So what do you do? Well, the good news is that is, that's exactly the situation uh, that Peter addresses in his letter here in chapter 4, and that's what I want us to talk about today. You know, what do you do when you suffer for doing the right thing, for your faith? How do you handle it? Well, let's talk about it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, realize, first of all, that suffering is inevitable. It is. It's inevitable. Uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. I mean, Peter just comes out and is brutally honest. He says, listen, guys, don't be caught off guard. You know, don't be surprised at the the suffering. Don't be surprised at the pain and the hurt. Now, listen, parents, sometimes I think we help create this problem in our kids. Sometimes I think we make a big mistake by creating this kind of naive, sheltered view of life for our children. You know, as parents, sure, part of our role, right, is, you know, when our, especially when our kids are young, is, is to protect them, protect our kids, protect our family. But then sometimes I think we take that role to an extreme, and we try to, you know, shelter and protect our kids from all pain, all hurt. All suffering, and even the pain they they even bring on themselves. You know, we'll we'll have this kind of attitude. Well, you know, don't deny your children anything they want because you wouldn't want them to be disappointed. You know, don't discipline your kids because that hurts. And if your kid gets in trouble in school, you better make sure you go there and you intervene so that they're not upset. And if they play sports, make sure that everybody gets a trophy Because you don't want them to feel the pain of losing, do you? By the way, that's called um, upward bound. Anyway, upward basketball. (laughs) I'm just joking. My kids were in upward basketball as well. Anyway, so children grow up thinking that life is supposed to be perfect all the time. And then when it's not, they feel cheated. This class is boring. I'm not going. This marriage is unsatisfying. I'm getting out. This job is hard. I quit. This church is demanding. I'm leaving. This situation is is hard and difficult, so I'm going to bail. Listen, I think the first step in learning to cope with suffering is just to understand, like Peter says, it's a part of life. Pain is not an elective. You know, it's a required course. And mom and dad, let me tell you something. If you're a parent for very long, eventually your kids are going to hurt you. If you live long enough, one day, your mom and your dad are going to die. If you live for very long, one day you're going to have, you know, physical problems of your own to some degree. Your bones are going to ache a little bit when you try to crawl out of that bed. Eventually, you can bank on it. And there's a myth that says, though, well, you know, if I do everything right in life, things will go smoothly. Guys, that's just not true. You know, even Jesus was so realistic about this. In John 16, he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace on me. 
here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. I mean, he says it. Expect trial, expect sorrow, expect suffering in this world. But, hey, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to panic about it, because I'll see you through it. I'll give you the power to handle it. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, don't worry. And then you kind of expect him to say, nothing bad is going to happen to you. But he doesn't say that. Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not worry, don't worry, you know, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Listen to this. Each day has enough what? Trouble, trouble of its own. He says you're going to have trouble, and anybody who gives you this idea that once you become a Christian and you get active in the church and you live for Jesus, that your troubles are over, either is speaking to you from an empty head or a closed Bible. That's just not true. And so part of eliminating worry and handling the suffering that we go through is just learning to accept a lot of it as inevitable. Number two. Rejoice when you suffer. Peter says, realize that suffering is going to happen, and then, are you ready for this? Rejoice. Rejoice when you suffer. Suffer. Uh, 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, circle the word there, rejoice. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, rejoice, rejoice when you suffer. But notice he doesn't say enjoy when you suffer. It says rejoice. And there's a big difference. You know, enjoyment means that you're actually, you know, getting pleasure out of something. Rejoicing is a choice. You're choosing to have a certain attitude in spite of it. Now why? I mean, seriously, why in the world would we do that? Well, in this passage, Peter actually gives us some reasons why. First of all, he, he says that suffering draws me closer to Jesus. It draws me closer to Jesus. The New Living Translation of verse 13 says this, Instead, be very glad, for these trials, listen to this, make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Now, circle the little phrase there, partners with Christ. In Greek, it's the word koinia, and it's the root word for fellowship in the New Testament. Fellowship means that, you know, you do life with someone. You get to know them up close and personal. In other words, he's saying that when you suffer for your faith, when you suffer for Christ and you do the right thing, you actually have fellowship with Jesus. It's as though it draws you closer to him. Think about this. When you suffer with someone, when you go through suffering with anybody, it bonds you to them. It does. You know, ask a war veteran. This past week was Veterans Day, right? Ask any war veteran. The suffering that they went through bonds them together. When people go through a disaster, it brings us closer together. Another reason to rejoice when we suffer is that it, uh, it actually speeds up the maturing process. It speeds up the maturing process. We grow faster uh, through adversity than we do just through normal everyday living. You know, uh, weightlifting rooms and gyms all across the world have an often repeated slogan on them sometimes, no pain, no what? No gain. No pain, no gain, right? 
In other words, if you don't, if you don't punish your body in disciplining it, if you don't break down those muscles, there will be no strengthening of your muscles, no building up of your muscles. You know, I could look back at my own life and see the hand of God, how God used uh, the hurt and the pain that I've experienced for his glory and my good. Uh, when I was 11 years old, my mom and dad, my parents, they separated and uh, were headed for a divorce. And let me tell you something, man, I was, a, um, I was a hurt and angry child. I was. I didn't understand. I was mad. Mad at my parents, mad at God. And, uh, but then, when I was 12, before they actually you know, had a chance to get divorced, my dad unexpectedly died. And so... That anger and hurt that I was experiencing, honestly, it just multiplied exponentially. I mean, I was just devastated, and, and I was uh, very, very angry at God. You know, God, how could you let this happen? You know, why? Why me? Well, um, that summer, uh, a friend of mine invited me to church. And our family had long, long since stopped uh, going to church. But I went, and uh, that following week, the youth group at that church was going to camp, you know, summer Christian camp, and uh, I was invited to go. I came so close to not going, but I went. Let me tell you, it was, it was at that week of camp that I end up accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I gave my life to Christ, and it was there and then that I felt the unmistakable, strong call to go into full-time Christian ministry and become a pastor. I just knew. I knew that I knew that I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor. And, and I look back at all of that pain and all of that hurt, and I realize that, you know, God didn't cause my dad to die. He didn't, that, you know, it, I didn't blame him, but I was able to see how Miraculously, he has the ability to use that experience and that trial in my life to produce a harvest in my life. And I look back on that time and I go, you know what? You're here today as a result of that. And over the years, many of you have dealt with disappointments, illnesses, deaths, you know, you got a, fo a phone call from a loved one, and, and, the, and the person on the other end said, it's malignant. A loved one was involved in, a, in an accident or had to be hospitalized, and you didn't know if they'd make it. Maybe you were ho hospitalized, and you, know, you became the patient for the first time in, in your life, and, and you were devastated, and you were crushed, and you've cried out, God, why? Why me? But many of you, maybe for the very first time, learned about daily prayer and how precious relationships really are and how precious life is. And you learned to love more deeply and you learned about pain and empathy and compassion for others. Many of you have experienced financial setbacks or disappointments recently in the, in the workplace. Maybe that company that you've been sacrificing for scaled back during this season and you learned that you're not essential, that you're expendable. 
And the promotion that you thought you deserved maybe was given to somebody else. Or you were passed over for a raise and you've done your best just to, you know, to get ahead and stay above water. But then something happens again out of your control. A close friend or a family member needs help. Car breaks down. Kids need braces. And on and on and on it goes without fail. And you cry out, God, why? Why me? You know, the ungodly seem to prosper so. And yet many of you have learned again, maybe for the first time, that God is faithful. And that he does provide. He does protect. And you discovered that, you know, you really weren't giving him the praise for your blessings. You weren't even recognizing your blessings. And you learned to depend on him. And maybe many of you grew more in the last six, seven, eight months in that, that time, that season of pressure in your Christian life than you've grown in years. What we learn through suffering is that God is much more concerned about developing our character than he is in protecting our comfort. And we learn the truth of Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so it's reason to rejoice. Another reason for rejoicing and suffering is that it means that God's spirit can be seen in your life. You know, when you're having a, a tough time for Jesus' sake, it means that uh, the watching world can see Jesus in you. 1 Peter 4.14, in fact, says that. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Listen, when people put you down, when they insult you, or they make fun of you because of your faith, guess what? Congratulations! Congratulations! Obviously, they have noticed something different. They see something different. Listen, if you are never, ever challenged, harassed, or insulted because you follow Jesus, because of your faith, what does that say about your faith? People see Jesus in you. Another reason we can rejoice is that it means that God can trust me. God can trust you. Listen, Peter and the other disciples were literally beaten up for being believers. Martyred for their faith. Acts 5.41, in fact, says it this way. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Listen, it happens still all around the world. There are still places in this world today where you can be killed, hanged, or put before a firing squad for being a Christian. Nobody's going to do that to you here in America. Maybe not yet. Maybe it's coming. I often actually wonder if God can trust American Christians. You see, we want Jesus as long as it's comfortable. We want Jesus as long as it's convenient. And then when our faith is inconvenient or difficult or cost us something, we give up. We bail. I mean, think about it. Why did God allow Job to lose everything that he had? Because God could trust him. He knew he wouldn't turn on him. Why did God allow those three young Hebrew men to go through that fiery furnace? Because God knew he could trust them. 
can God trust you? You know, if he, if he allows you to suffer for his name, that means God can trust you. And there's reason to rejoice. So realize it's inevitable. Rejoice when you suffer. And then number four, refuse, or number three, refuse to be ashamed. Refuse to be ashamed. Verse 16. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. He says that when you are put down for your faith, refuse to be ashamed. Listen, people are watching you all the time. And so if you claim to be a Christian, unbelievers are going to throw stuff at you just to see how you react. Or they're just watching simply to see how you react to the stuff that is thrown at you. And they want to know, does your walk match your talk? Do what you say you believe you know, really match how you believe, how you live? Is this a person of integrity? Is this a person who really has convictions? Is it real to them? Because if it's not, they're not interested. And so Peter says, listen, guys, don't be ashamed. Jesus said it too. Uh, Mark 8, 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory, in, in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I mean, God basically said, listen, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Jesus was not ashamed to die for you, so don't be ashamed to live for him. And it is not just a matter of, listen, not doing bad things. It also means being proud and being honest and admit the reason why you do the right things and not being embarrassed about it. Listen, don't be embarrassed for your faith. Don't make apologies for your values, for your faith. I actually know people who would never think of doing certain wrong things, but they are ashamed to admit why they do the right thing when they're around unbelievers. I know some guys who would never, ever think about cheating on their wives, but when they're out with a bunch of guys and they're yucking it up and everybody's bragging about maybe an affair that they have, they just keep silent because they don't want them to know that they've never been with anybody but their wife. As if that's something to be embarrassed about. That's how messed up our world is. I know Christian young people who would never, ever think about taking drugs or getting drunk, but they're embarrassed to admit that to their friends. I've met single people who have remained sexually pure, and they're embarrassed to admit that they're a virgin. Since when did that become something to be embarrassed of or ashamed of? Listen, be more concerned about what God thinks about you than what other people think about you. What did he say? Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Number four, remember the reward I'll receive. Remember the reward. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Listen, if somebody doesn't like you, if somebody puts you down because of your faith, if you suffer even doing the right thing, 
That pain that you are experiencing is nothing, nothing compared to the glory that is one day coming. That pain isn't going to last. It's only temporary. But the reward, the reward for standing up for your faith, for being faithful, that is going to last for all eternity. Keep the long perspective in mind. Circle the word glory there in that verse. He says our present troubles produce for us a glory greater than any pain we might go through. In Romans 8, 17, uh, it uses the same word there where it says, but if we are to share in his glory, we must also share, listen to this, in his suffering. Listen, when you get to heaven, God's not going to look at how much money you have, how much stuff and things you've accumulated. He's not going to look at the trophies on your shelf. He's not going to look at the awards and plaques that you've been given. God is going to see the scars that you have, the pain that you have endured for being faithful. Does your faith cost you anything? And the Bible says that if we share in his suffering, we'll share in his glory. Any persecution, any pain, any suffering that you might possibly experience because of your faith, because you stood up for what was right, it's so small and insignificant compared to what is coming, the glory that is ahead. And the Christian who goes through difficulty can endure anything if you'll focus not on the immediate pain, but on the ultimate reward that is coming. And then finally, number five, remain faithful to God. Remain faithful. Verse 19, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. For listen to this, he will never fail you. He will never fail you. He says remain faithful. If you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, the NIV says those who suffer according to God's will. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a minute, Pastor Chris. Wait a second. Are you saying that suffering is sometimes God's will and it pleases him? No, I'm not telling you that. God is. Sometimes suffering is exactly God's will for your life. Why? Because God is far more interested, again, in your character than he is your comfort. And there is a certain brand of Christianity out there today that says, basically, God wants everybody to be healthy, wealthy, and millionaires, and you should always be healed. You should always have every prayer answered the way you want it answered. You should always have everything you want, and you should never have any problems. And if you do have any problems, that means you don't have enough faith. And there is a theological term for that. You ready? Here it is. Baloney. Hogwash. I could say some other terms, but I won't. But obviously, these people have not read 1 Peter 4, where it says sometimes we suffer according to God's will. Suffering that is redemptive for our growth and for his glory. If God always answered every prayer you ever prayed, gave you everything you ever wanted, took away all your problems, listen, you would be a spoiled brat. He's not interested in raising spoiled brats. He wants you to be faithful when the heat's on, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. I want you to ask yourself these two questions today. Do people notice Jesus in my life 
I mean, you know, the, the people that you're around all the time, as we say here at Coastal a lot, where you live, work, parent, and play. Do they see Jesus in you? Especially, listen to me, especially in seasons like this one, where it's been hard, where it's been tough. And maybe you feel like you, you've suffered even for doing the right thing. Do they still see Jesus? And then number two, have I been ashamed of my faith? Am I embarrassed that I follow Jesus? Do I shrink back or make apologies for doing the right thing? Let's get real practical. If you're not ashamed of your faith, when's the last time you shared it? When's the last time you just simply invited somebody to church? Because if you, if you bring somebody here, listen, we're going to point them to Jesus. You know, think about this. You know, who are you planning and praying about right now to bring, to invite and bring to our uh, Christmas Eve candlelight services this year? We announced that, you know, this past week. Thursday night, December the 24th, we're having three services, 3 p.m., 4.30 p.m., 6 p.m. Do you know that more people are actually receptive during that time of the year than just about any other time of the year to come to church? There are people all around you who are going to die without Jesus if you don't share the good news. Actually, you know what? People are more receptive right now than ever before because people are most receptive during times of tension, trouble, and transition. Does that not describe 2020 or what? Tension, trouble, and transition. People are open. You know, I would suggest that you put your fear of rejection on the shelf and start praying about that family that you could invite and bring to church. And if you're online, which many of you are, then share it. Talk about your faith. You know, invite someone to, to see the service. You know, start a watch party. If you're in, in person, bring a friend, a relative, a neighbor, a coworker. Just say, hey, come to church with me, man. Everybody comes to church at Christmas. If you can't even do that, how much is your faith worth? Romans 1.16, I want to close with this. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. You ever feel like your faith is on trial? That you are suffering for doing the right thing? Listen, it's inevitable. Rejoice. Don't be ashamed. Remember the reward and remain faithful. You know, some of the happiest people I know are the people who have had severe trouble and pain and suffering in their life, and they've gone through it, they've rejoiced, and they've remained faithful. They've maintained their faith. Some of the most unhappy people I know are the people who have had maybe just little pinpricks of trouble, and it really doesn't matter, but whatever it is, they just focus on it, and they complain about it. It really is all a matter of attitude. If you're not happy most of the time, listen to me, it is your fault. Happiness is a choice. So when you leave the service today, you can choose to be happy 
or you can choose to be unhappy. You can focus on your problems and your pain and your suffering and you can feel sorry for yourself or you can focus on Jesus and his glory and the goal and be joyful. It's your choice. If you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. Suffering is inevitable. Misery is optional. You know, nobody knew more suffering than Jesus. Under the threat of execution, just minutes before he took a beating, the likes of which you and I could hardly fathom, before he went to the cross, he said this, John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give, it's a gift the world cannot give. So, don't be troubled or afraid. What about you? Have you received that gift? If your life is full of trouble and fear, chances are, maybe not. But if you have, if you have received that gift, when's the last time you shared it? Maybe today is your day that you step across that line of faith. You come to Christ and you give him your life. What are you waiting on? Let's do it right now, right here. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this reminder that we all need to hear. God, this has been for many people a very difficult season. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of hurt. Father, I pray that we would allow your word and your spirit to heal us today. And that we would turn um, all of it over to you. And to realize that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. Even the suffering, even the pain. And even, you know, this week I was thinking about some friends of mine here at Coast who have lost a loved one. And I know they're hurting. I know they're struggling. God, I pray that you would do what you do best. That you would just wrap your arms around them tightly. And be the, the God of comfort and peace in their life. Father, so many of us, we, we've experienced that, uh, that gift of peace, peace of mind, peace of heart. And, but I think sometimes we forget to share it, to share the reason for our hope. So I pray today, God, that we would, uh, we would all walk out of here and choose to rejoice and choose to share the hope that we have. Listen, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you've never given your life to him and accepted his gift of peace once and for all for your sin, you can do it right here and right now. Just pour your heart out to God in a prayer. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I admit it. I've blown it. I'm lost. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But today I believe that one has been provided. He is your son, Jesus. And I ask him today to, to be my Savior and to be my Lord. I believe that he came to this earth, that he died in my place on the cross. And I believe that he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death. I believe that he is alive. And I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. And for the rest of my days, God, I just want to follow him, humbly follow him and become more and more like you see me now. 
forgiven and brand new. And for those of you who are already believers, let's share our faith this week. Let's not be ashamed of our faith. Let's, let's, let's let it be an honor to suffer for the name of Christ. We pray this today in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.